welcome to Cats Got the Cream, a podcast for music lovers and makers featuring the creme de la creme of songwriters from across the globe. Today's guest is multi-instrumentalist producer and singer Andy Platts. Andy is known primarily through his work with the band Mama's Gun and latterly as part of the duo Young Gun Silver Fox. He bridges classic melodic pop writing with retro and contemporary soul groove sensibilities. After having signed his first publishing deal in 2006 and soaking up experience from writing with legends such as Rod Temperton and John Oates, Platt set about forming Mama's Gun in 2007. They then signed to Decca in 2008. In 2009, the band released their album Roots to Riches and their debut single House on the Hill was the most played song on Japanese radio in 2009 and singles Let's Find a Way and Pots of Gold received major national radio playlisting in the UK. Thanks to their debut album and follow-up album, The Life and Soul, Mama's Gun have become a potent live force in Southeast Asia, as well as much of Europe and the UK. The forces behind Young Gun Silver Fox are Andy Platts and Sean Lee. Their debut LP, West End Coast, pays homage to the golden era of music made on the west coast of the USA in the late 70s and early 80s. As well as co-writing My Single Barricade with yours truly and Nick Atkinson, Platts has written songs for artists in Asia and Europe, and in 2012 he penned a Korean number one hit single, Falling, for John Park. This year has already seen the release of Young Gun Silver Fox's third album, Canyons, and Mama's Gun have released a brand new single, This Is The Day. Andy Platts, welcome to Cat's Got the Cream. How are you doing? Uh, very well. Thank you very much for having me. What a great name for a podcast. <laughs> Cheers, man. How's the lockdown going for you? Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm out here in the uh, the Norfolk countryside. So um, on the bright days, it feels like I'm on holiday half the time. Um, and uh. yeah, you know, garden and kind of space. So very, very fortunate that I, I moved house about a year ago. Uh, and, mm. and I'm here for the lockdown. So that was the last single by Mama's Gun. Can you tell us a little bit about what that song's all about? Um, I think it's fairly fairly clear in the lyric. Um, and first and foremost, it's a song I wrote with um, a guy called Connor Reeves, who, ah. who's, who's a guy I've written with for years. Me and Connor are um, very good friends and very, very close uh, socially yeah. and musically. Um, but it's just really about drawing a line underneath, um, you know, a whole negative period or an episode or, or, or being able to move on in such a way that um, there's some sense of tangible um, redemption or, 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 mm. or a light ahead that you can see, that you can put your hands on and, and that's a turning point in your life and... And it's empowerment, it's hope, it's confidence, it's stepping forward, you know. 
um, and putting that on all loading all of that onto a an, a single day a single moment where uh, mm. every, everything turns on that is quite powerful i think um yeah most definitely it's a gorgeous song i love it and connor you. reeves he's um he's a cool guy as well isn't he he's written with a few people yeah connor he's amazing he's been around for years you know um connor he's he's written he's written lots of songs for just stone um oh. you know he's had his songs covered by uh, people like Joe Cocker. Um, oh, wow. As a vocalist, he toured with Whitney Houston across America, uh, su- supporting her. So, you know... Name drop, co- love co- that. Yeah, well, no, you've you got to. You've got to give people their <laughs> yeah. dues. And, um, yeah, man. You know, those those are the watermarks that, that keep people relevant in their careers and keep people talking about them. Certainly very impressive, but obviously has the talent to back it up anyway, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he, he and I just fit absolutely, you know. So uh, we've got such a similar kind of musical reference palette, um, but equally we kind of diverge, and it's very complementary. So, yeah. wonderful. Well, I've been listening to a whole load of Mama's Gun and Young Gun Silver Fox all week, mm. and I um, absolutely loved it. It's been so much fun. Thank you very much for writing all those songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'd like to just start at the very beginning of your career, um, just to kind of introduce you a little bit more to the listeners. Um, you won a place to study at Lipper. Mm. What was the best thing you learned there, or what was the best piece of advice you got when you from your time there? Um, the best thing about being there was just interfacing with other musicians every day for three years from, yeah. all, from all over the world and like immensely talented people. Um, mm. And that exposed you in turn to so many different things, whether it's genres of music, um, just picking up tools and skills from people. But even though I say that, it's it's like that all impact, impacted on me after I left. Because um, mm. I learned all this stuff, you know, from the, from the course and from people and then unlearned it. I, I got in as a songwriter mm-hmm. and I didn't, right. I didn't write a song for three years. Oh my god! Yeah, I got, no got in as a songwriter, and then and then I, <laughs> for some reason, I chose I chose more instrumental playing. I developed, you know, developed on the guitar more, right? Uh, and you know, boned up on my production skills. Mm. And then maybe I don't know, six months a year after leaving Lipper, songs started falling out of me. So that's um, interesting. Why do you think that you weren't writing during that time then? I don't know. It was all there in front of me. I yeah. wanted to get in as a songwriter and then it was like, okay, in the first term, choose your route through this course, this three-year degree. Mm. Um, and for whatever reason, I just thought, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I fancy doing this and kind of is more about composition and directing. And um, That's really interesting. Once you'd finished your degree, um, you got <clears throat> to work with Rob Temperton and John Oakes. How was that? What was that like? So... Um, yeah, I finished my degree in 2000, moved to London, and I bummed around on the dole for a year nice. or so, you know, <laughs> b- b- bars, you know, job bars, jobs in bars, restaurants, whatever. Yeah. Just getting myself onto the scene, really, at which time there was a place called the Kashmir Club, which, ah, was, an, which, which was an underground basement restaurant club, free to get in. Uh, it was hosted by a guy called Tony Moore, who's done 
so much for, for musicians in London. Yeah. He, he gave me my first leg up. Um, and it was the kind of place where you got huge stars just popping in, doing impromptu sets as well. It was amazing. Amazing place, amazing <laughs> time. So yeah. I, fell in, I fell into that. Um, and it was through more of that through os osmosis and generating my own bands that I managed to get um, a publishing deal in 2005. And then 2006, yeah, I went, I went on to work with um, some of the people you just mentioned. And what was it like to write with them? Did you learn a lot from the way they wrote? Yeah, well, my publishers, they signed me as a developing artist. Mm. They saw I had something. They knew that I had better songs in me. And they just wanted me to interface with people that had been doing it, you know, a long time, who'd got the T-shirt and done it. And mm. I remember they wanted to put me with a load of flavours of the month, guys, pop guys who had like songs in the charts that month who were right. absolutely killing it, you know, cleaning up. Mm. And I just wasn't interested. Um, <laughs> so they said, all right, um, you tell us who you want to write with. So I made a little bit of a short list of guys I liked. <laughs> Brilliant. And that included people like, you know, I thought I'd shoot for the moon. So yeah, why not? Rod Temperton, <laughs> it was, there was Hall of Notes in there. Um, yeah. Brian Jackson, who was Gil Scott Heron's uh, writing partner. Oh, um, right. A couple of other people as well. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's that's how I managed to, you know, sh and shy kids, you know, don't if you don't ask, you don't get the sweets. So um, I just Absolutely. just barefaced wrote to them, courtesy of my manager, and sent a few tracks. And with the weight that's of obviously of a, of a worldwide publisher behind you, it's a, it's quite a good look because I was with um, Zomba back then. Yeah. Um, God, that's amazing. So you must have been like in your early 20s just doing this. Though. Yeah, 2005. So maybe I was 25, 26. And, that um, is such a springboard to just be able to jump off of. I mean, it was that's nuts, fantastic. man. It was amazing. But um, in terms of like learning stuff throughout my whole life, I don't know if you've ever felt this yourself at some point. Mm. I've always felt when, when it comes to like being educated about stuff, um, I've always felt I've been too young to take advantage of what was being taught me in that okay. moment. Yeah. Like, I've always felt I've been quite young uh, compared to my same age peers. Like at university, I, I could understand everything, I could digest it, but it, I wasn't taking it seriously in a way that I would, would now as a mature student, if you know what I mean. Mm. And it was the same going into a room with like John Oates. My first session was uh, at the famous Sunset Boulevard uh, no, Sunset, what's it called? Sunset Marquee Hotel, that's it. That's a okay, huge, okay, okay. huge rock star hangout. I walked in, like Jimmy Page was there having a drink with someone. <laughs> uh, the studio was on next downstairs in the basement. Madonna was next door with William Orbit. Oh, man. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm massively dropping names, but it, <laughs> I'm dropping them because it was just such a gobsmacker for me. Yeah, man, that's so cool. So I'm in, uh, I'm in a room with John Oates and a guy called um, Jed Lieber, who's the son of um, Jerry Lieber, who's obviously Lieber and Stoller, wow. who wrote oh. all those huge Elvis hits and like Stand oh, By Me and all that kind of stuff. Egg. Yeah, Oof. totally. Um, yeah, incredible. And just just uh, seeing seeing people like that, like that work. Oh yeah, and Jeff Barry popped in later, the guy who wrote um, River Deep, Mountain High. <laughs> <laughs> it was nuts. It was nuts. Just popped in. Love it. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so there's a certain amount of me kind of stepping back, you know, kind of going, "Whoa, what the fuck's happening here? This is this yeah. is massive. This is massive." Mm. Um, Rod Temperton, 
that for me he was so down to earth we were both mm. smokers so we kind of bonded over smoking loads of fags and stuff all the time <laughs> um that he had a place up in topanga canyon um which was outside mm. uh the main kind of la areas up you know it's kind of where you're out on your own up in the hills okay um, wow. and he had this little place there um watching him hit the way he writes every every one of his songs is like a swiss timepiece every <laughs> single instrument every single lick is pure economy not everything has a place there and it's all been wow. composed together you know you you could you know you hear people talking about well you know a great song is something you can just play on guitar and voice if you reduce it to that mm. i agree with that wholeheartedly in some contexts but with rod it was it all worked together and that part needed to be there the baseline needed to be like that need to sit up like that to make the vocal poke out like that if you if you know what i mean so amazing that was just a lesson in arrangement and uh ergonomy if i can use that as a word <laughs> that's amazing i can kind of hear in um i think it's london girls isn't it um that you've got that fantastic groove that, um and then you've got some finger picking guitar mm. that's mm. happening that's syncopating so satisfyingly with the drums and bass <laughs> and that kind of sounds like similar to what Rod Temperton might be doing you know that oh you've got geeky kind of with vibe. it I like it nice oh yeah I, I have proper got geeky mate <laughs> <laughs> wicked there's more coming there's more coming <laughs> Young Gun Silver Fox and Mama's Gun have this nostalgic tone underpinning them and you've got some lyrics which reflect that nostalgia too with Mama's Gun hit single Red Cassette which is a, I think mm. I heard you say it's a homage to nostalgia in itself and that first cassette mm. that you recorded onto with your four track desk mm. and you said you said at some point um, during an interview I was watching or something um, I don't think you can appreciate the present until you've looked back on where you've come from. So how important is it for you to include an element of the past, whether it's in production or lyrically, into your present songwriting? I think I think what I actually said at the time, if I remember rightly, because I think I know what you're referring to, mm -hmm. is that I don't, I don't think you can create in the present or create in the future without looking to the past. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and so to, to, to start answering your question... I don't think it necessarily means um, like overtly incorporating elements of the past. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's certainly a stylistic choice. Um, I think the manner in which you incorporate that manifests in different ways. For me, I think much of what I consider um, the greatest exponents of songwriting and um, the period of when it was really at its high high point 
you know, the architecture of songwriting was such mm. a, a sacred thing and people took very seriously in a very literary way, in a very refined way, an era where everyone had their job. You know, the, the arranger was just as important as the as the... Um, the, the producer and the sound engineer and everyone mm. was everyone was at the top of their tree in in, in this particular um, game you know everyone mm. everyone had a job um, and songwriting used to be its its own discipline you know I think today songwriting is heavily interwoven with artists doing yeah. the songwriting and there's there's nothing wrong with that it's it's great you know um, it mm. helps kind of develop a different kind of identity for the artist but you know, back in the day, it was songwriters writing the songs for people who could who could sing brilliantly and, in, yeah. and interpret a lyric like a singer does. Um, mm. I think for me, that's that's when much of the best work was done in songwriting back then. Um, mm. You can still find amazing writing today, obviously, but I find myself really having to go look for it for something that really makes me tick and makes me go, wow, that's a great piece of work there that person mm. really knows what they're doing and above all above all and this is what it all comes down to something that moves me yeah i just want to be moved you mm. know if i can get geeky and analyze it and really get off on what they've done and the nuts and bolts on it then that's even better that's just like yeah you know i'm just <laughs> hot, <laughs> hot tubbing in ecstasy <laughs> but but um it, it has to move you it really does have mm. to move you otherwise it doesn't mean anything and then it doesn't it doesn't relate back to why you got into music in the first place you know part of the thing about being in a band for me is i always want to feel like i'm like 13 years old starting my first band and oh, that's, that's what nice. i that's what i want to feel like in a band and the moment it starts yeah. to become hard work or starts to become political you need to address that or i feel like i do um mm. because then it's all for nothing do you know what i mean um it shouldn't be tiring. Yeah, you, yeah. If, you, if you're fortunate to have a career in music, uh, yeah, don't take that for granted and always remember that and try, and try and preserve or get back to what it is that you loved about it in the first place. That's so cool. Like mm. it's when I first started writing songs, it was like a, and like you were saying with working within a band, it's, it's got to feel like playtime almost, doesn't it? It's mm. got to feel, <laughs> it's yeah. got to feel fun. And if it's not, then stop. Yeah, and that's that's the irony. That becomes harder the more, I guess, the more successful, the more professional you get at music. Yeah. You've you've got to not lose sight of that because that's that informs everything. The whole raison d'être to get wanky mm. about it, you know. <laughs> Do get wanky about it. I love it. <laughs> so uh, both of your bands um, have this international fan base, and you reference within your lyrics certain cities and locations all over the world, like obviously London Girls and Midnight in Richmond and in Long Distance Love Affair, you've got that touchdown in Tokyo for the first line. Mm. Is that important for you to be referencing certain places in your lyrics? Um, it's not important. It's not a thing I try to remember to do, but mm -hmm. I, I think what I do, you know... I think when songwriting is driven by the senses, um, it's inclusive. Um, mm. So when you talk about smells or tastes or touches or you put someone in a city, yeah. uh, it's a universal thing that everyone can do, you know. 
there are there are real there are songs that people write where you haven't got the faintest clue what they're talking about and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that you know you it can still <laughs> move you you know tom york writes a lot of songs which i absolutely adore i don't know what he's going on about <laughs> but but they pull me in yeah but but for me with some lyrics um a place or a location is an instant web of references and it pushes certain buttons in people's minds so when you yeah. say tokyo you know that you're saying tokyo because it has this reference set and it puts puts people somewhere immediately uh, mm. but it doesn't need to be a city it can be a room it could be a shed mm. it could be an echoey um hall somewhere you know it, it could be anywhere but um pulling the camera out back a bit i think it's just all about giving music depth and giving yeah. some songwriting depth um because you know most of what's out there is um i love you you love me um, you used to love me i don't love you anymore you broke my heart <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that out there yeah and there's nothing again there's nothing wrong with that um but it is about trying to say but say a lot of the same stuff in a different way or take a different yeah. path um to the same thing a lot of the time so yeah i was talking to um julian Vallard about about this on a podcast oh, yeah. we'll be doing and he he was saying about how he would like his um lyric content to to be more specific so that he he can actually grab people more because ironically you would feel like being specific would make make it slightly less relatable because it's not you know not everyone's been to Tokyo for example mm. but actually it does draw people in more and you get more hardcore fans from it because they feel much more emotionally connected to it because they feel like they can truly be in that moment so I just find it really fascinating yeah and then now you're getting into this thing about directness mm. and things which appreciate more over time with more listens and stuff you yes. know you always end up i don't know about you but a lot of my favorite records are ones that are just didn't grab me first listen absolutely oh, it's the classic onion effect layer after layer you yep, just yep, go yep. you just go back do you, do you know what i mean um yes and it's totally. something it's something to do with obviously something to do with taste but something to do with age and perception and so many things that that make you perceive music in a certain way uh, yeah. s singles a great a great single is will do its job um but you end up loving you know track nine on an album or something do you know what i mean it's that's, that's yeah that's the one you go to <laughs> it's a funny old thing isn't it touchdown tokyo again i feel the ground beneath my feet but it's just another city far away from where i always want to be Long distance 
moving on to uh, Mama's Gun specifically, mm. um, you recently recorded two live tracks for Soho Radio. Can you tell us a bit about that session and how it came about? Yeah, so um, we got to day one of lockdown and we got on a um, Skype call um, and we're just talking, oh, it wouldn't be great if we could, you know, just do live gigs and live sessions or at least rehearse together. And our sound yeah. man, Doug, took that as a challenge. <laughs> uh, and he said, oh, boys, you know, you can't really do this because X, Y and Z. And then he started riffing in this conversation yeah. saying, but maybe if you did that and you, you know, blah, 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 started going all technical <laughs> on us. So um, fast forward to a few weeks later and he's like, OK, lads, I think I might have matured something to a point where um, it needs to be tested. Uh, and and this specifically was a bespoke piece of software he'd written and coded where it allows, you know, however many musicians in different parts of the world to play simultaneously without any kind of delay or digital or online interference that we're all familiar with that makes mm. um, communicating across the web difficult sometimes. Yeah, magic. Yeah. Um, in other words, you just when you're using it, you just feel like you're in a studio session. It's that That's instantaneous. Insane. It's like the the quality of the audio is excellent. Um, what a genius! Yeah, his name is Doug Douglas Hunt, uh, and so and so yeah, that enabled us to perform live, um, live stream it on YouTube, um, perform it on a live radio broadcast, and simultaneously cut it to a vinyl record all at the same time, which we think was a first in the world. Yes, that's so, so good. Yeah. Is that going to be available on Spotify? We don't know. Yeah, we talked about um, pressing some limited edition seven inches, maybe. Ah, yes. Um, but almost definitely we'll make them available. Your range is huge and awesome. <laughs> and you've got this wonderful, um, delicate falsetto, but you've also got a really heavy chest voice, which is very satisfying when you flip between the two in your single this is the day you mainly sing in falsetto but then you break into this chest voice for the last chorus when you sing the the long this is the day yeah. that one that's really <laughs> lovely and how how do you think that the what effect do you think that these using these two voices has on the listener does that make sense <laughs> yeah yeah I, I find it hard talking about singing do you? Because on, uh, I, I, I've never thought of myself as a singer. It, it, I got into singing because I, I had to sing the songs because no one else yeah. could sing like I want them sung. But mm. um, it's something I've always worked at. You know, when I, <laughs> when I think of singers, singers that I love, mm. there's some God-given thing that falls out of them that, that makes my jaw drop and just makes my spine tingle. And if I mm. really ask myself, I'll think, of course, at some point along the way, getting to that that level of beauty, there'll have been put some work put into that, you know, mm. whether it's growing up in a gospel church, you know, or, mm. uh, or, or, or being part of a choir or just you kind of singing a song over and over and over and, and learning someone's inflections. There'll have been some... Mm batches of 10,000 hours put into that at some point do you know what I mean and I yeah. know and I know that um I just um I, str I struggle with it you know so when people say oh you've got a great voice or other ways on that it's it's um I find it challenging to kind of oh yeah no, thanks and, uh, and, <laughs> and talk about it um 
uh, that said, I know that I can hold a I can hold a tune and and I can I can connect with people on some level, and and I'm aware mm. that I have a falsetto. I think I enjoy most singing the falsetto. Yeah, being able to dance between the two is it is it? Uh, I guess it is useful. <laughs> I guess it helps punch through different emotions. Uh, it's just another color palette. Um, mm. I like singing to an extent, but I think I like to sing them on my own and in the studio. And yes, there's a unique thing that happens when you play live to people, and you and I both get to do that. And there's a very special window into mm. a world that we we get to glimpse into now and then when everyone mm. is playing out their skin and the audience is on fire and it's those untouchable yeah. moments that you mm. that you remember and you cling on to and i've i feel like i've been privileged enough to have had those in my career um maybe mm. i just need to stop being a bit of a dick and say yeah andy you're a, you're a singer <laughs> yeah man you really should <laughs> but um uh, but you know, you you identify yourself in the music world in this, you know. I I always think of myself as a, a musician first, and then a songwriter, and then other stuff after that. That's 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 mm. the order in which I kind of see myself. Cool. Um, I guess for me, when I hear you singing your with your falsetto, especially in that song, is that it draws you in more because it's almost whispering and it just makes you feel slightly like it's more intimate. And then when you stretch out to a chest voice, it makes me, it makes me feel like okay, he's he's allowing himself to lose control in this this couple of bars, and but he's been restrained for the rest of it just to sort of get across that intimacy, intimate nature of the song. I mean, you, that's, you, how, that's what I get. Yeah, <clears throat> I've just had a thought actually. Go on. It's all wrapped up in humility as well. Mm. Um, it's so easy to get carried away with. Well, I can see why, how people get carried away with how good they think they are. Yeah. <laughs> because you only have to go and listen to a timeless record or a classic, and the very reason why they're called classics, to put you in your place. Mm. Even when you think every, every songwriter thinks the last song they wrote was the best song. It's like, because <laughs> they're, you know, it's new and fresh and it's like, oh, yeah. it's all shiny and oh, look what I did and kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then you go and hear. You go and watch some TV performance that Prince did, and it's like, what? Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, or you go and listen to a song that you forgot about, and you really listen to it again, and you go, oh, my God, oh, my God. Mm. There's so much music out there that makes me go, oh, my God, what you're doing is absolute shit. It's, it's, <laughs> it's turd. It's mediocre, beige-coloured shit. Oh. And, <laughs> And this this kind of putting in one's place happens a lot to me. Uh, maybe yeah. I allow it to. Maybe maybe I th in some way I think it's healthy. But um, yeah. it definitely happens more with vocalists and singing because yeah, it's such an instant emotive thing. You know, when mm. someone comes out with something. I mean, someone for me like Scott Walker, I absolutely mm. adore. You know, those yeah. those albums, Scott One, Scott Two, Scott Three. Scott Four, yeah. for me, are just magical. You know, long, long, long ago when I used to go to the gym and work out, and there were people <laughs> on treadmills running full place listening to dance music. I would listen to the most mournful Scott Walker ballad <laughs> whilst running up for like a three incline. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, That's when pe people's voices do do something to you when they 
when they're really yeah. special and when they connect. So I just have trouble putting myself anywhere near levels of quality that I think are excellent. Do you know what I mean? So um, totally understand that. Well, as we're talking about singers, um, uh, is there a song from another artist that you admire that you'd wish you'd written? Oh, man, that's just a horrible, horrible. I know. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> All right, there are lots of songs I wish I'd written, as as yeah. as anyone does. But um, this just come back to this thing of being moved, and mm. songs moving you. Um, I think yeah, there's a Scott Walker song called "Big yeah. Big Louise," oh, okay. which is just about lost chances and time slipping away, and regret. Um, Positive subject matters, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, f- for for someone so seemingly upbeat, and I generally, yeah. I generally type, tend to write music that sounds positive and sounds warm and joyful, uh, inclusive, and, and yeah, I, I like to think so. But a lot of the time, you'll you'll find I'm just using them as vehicles to um, sneak my sad songs in. <laughs> um, Light and shade, because, though, I guess, isn't well, it? Well, songs, the sad songs are the best, yeah. I think, when it comes to true. it. Or, or, or at least, you know, the, the kind of introspective one, because I think those are the ones that touch with those chords in us. Yeah. Um, Much more relatable when you, then it's a bit of both, huh? Yeah. I mean, at the end of your life, you're not going to, you know, you think of, come on, Eileen. <laughs> 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 as, as, as things that resonate with moments in your life are you? Oh, you may well do. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but I, love, I bloody love that song. Um, but you know. <laughs> Come on, Arlene, don't die yet. Yeah, but there's a song called Big Louise, which I wish I'd written. She's a haunted house, and her windows are broken, and the sad young man. artists in Asia and co-written with artists from the UK and the Netherlands. What's it like to firstly write a song in all its entirety to pitch to an artist? And secondly, what's it like to co-write with other artists compared to writing on your own? Good question. Um, Writing a piece of music or a song for someone else to sing in its entirety uh, takes a certain amount of detachment. Mm. you know what I was talking about um, having a good autopilot before that's got to kick in now all your your tools and receptors for writing accessible universal melodies uh, 
uh, and your craft. You've just got to lean on that. Mm. This is about what's going to be right for them to sing. What is the right key for them to sing? What mm. is the kind of movement in the melody that's going to show their voice off? Um, what kind of lyric mm. is going to suit um, their persona, their the demographic of their fan base? Um, yeah. It's calculated is is too strong a word considered it's got to be much more considered yeah. i think than it mm. would be if you're writing for oneself yes or considered in a different way writing for yourself it's intensely personal as you know um, mm. you've got to connect with it on some level that's mm. either emotionally driven or in intensely relatable or or something you could really have fun with um, as a performer mm. So, um, um, and co-writing is is that oh. co co-writing? Well, that's something we've done together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> co-writing, I think, has to come back to the artist. You've got to respect the artist that you're creating for. So many times I've been in sessions. I mean, I used to work with my wife. She had a deal with Sony in the early noughties. She and I went around the world working with loads and loads of people, loads of heavyweights. But people pushing their agendas onto her or mm. what they thought she should be singing. It's their wedding. It's their song. They're going to be the ones singing in it. They've yeah. got to, you know, ideally they, they've got to love it. They've got to mm. want to sing it. They've got to relate to it. The genesis of the song ideally would come from them. And then you just use your skills in any way to entice the best out of that idea. And what can you do? with the way that you put music and building blocks together to improve it and offer something to the artist. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it, when you actually start, like when we first wrote um, Barricade together, mm. I remember quite quickly just getting into a whole load of my back backstory drama with you within about 15 minutes and we'd mm. only really just met. Mm. And it's amazing how quickly you can get into something get into your personal lives and how important it is to be able to do that with someone obviously you've got to be able to trust them and mm. it was really easy to trust you when we first started writing together mm. um but that takes a lot of skill and work to get to that point where you feel like you can be an open book with a writer you know yeah yeah absolutely and i'm, I'm glad that that you felt you were able to kind of open up um, yeah, man. Otherwise, we never would have, would have got to that song. You know, yeah. sometimes it is like an oil and water. I've not not had many sessions like that, but I've been. I think there's maybe one or two sessions in my life where <sighs> it just wasn't happening, or we walked away with absolutely nothing. Didn't write a single thing, not for one of trying. But yeah, it just didn't work. But I do think the the more songs you write, mm. and the more the further you are down the road, everyone knows what you're there for. You're there to write a song. So yeah. leave leave any shit at the door or remove anything <laughs> that that just can be an inconvenience and get in the way and let's get to the heart of the matter. You know, let's not fuck yes. about. Let's try and let's get something in the air and, and try and catch it and bottle it while we can because um, mm -hmm. that, that's what we're there for. And Momentum is so important, isn't it, with when you're writing with other people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it doesn't, and it doesn't mean writing quickly. It just means no. ma maintaining an intensity in the creation process that yeah. that means that you will yield good ideas 
uh, throughout yes. throughout whatever four hours or the day. If you're, yeah, because if you're like completely stressing over a line for three hours, then that isn't going to do wonders for your your confidence, is it? You just yeah. knock your confidence. But by the same t- token, as you know, if that if that's the line that unlocks the whole yeah. uh, whole idea. <laughs> Then it then it's worth it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you you know the, the writers concerned have got to call it in that moment because every yeah. single song and every single way you write a song is different, isn't it? With with uh, canyons, um, mm. uh, which is your new album with Young Gun Silver Fox. Um, I was watching an interview. I think it was an interview actually for a previous album, but it was you and um, Silver Fox, Sean Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about how you write together, and I'm wondering if you're still doing the same thing when Sean will send you almost send you like a whole track finished, and then you write the melody and the lyric on top. How do you find that remote co-writing? So for every Young and Silver Fox album, I'd say mm-hmm. it's been about two thirds of the album. Each album has been that. Sean sends wow. me what sounds like a finished record, just with no lyrics. Um, no melody, no backing vocals. Um, and wow. so it's my job to but basically provide the songwriting in, you know, in, in the kind of word and sing along to it sense. Um, yeah. And add any extra bits of production touches that I hear. And so mm. in, in that way, we can get music very quickly finished. Um, you know, Canyons was recorded in three weeks, I think. Oh, um, wow. From start to finish. Um, uh, but the other third will be me uh, generating stuff from the ground up, and um, I'll I'll provide all the all the instrumentation, and then Sean will decide what needs replacing, what can be improved upon. Uh, invariably, if I if I supply a, a drum take, uh, that's the first thing to go because Sean's <laughs> Sean's first instrument is the drums, and he's absolutely amazing drummer. Oh anyway, man, so, um, he's a beast, isn't so he? So stuff, yeah, you know, there's a track called Kids, which is the first single off yeah. Canyons. That was one of my songs that I wrote from the ground up. And I think Sean just replaced the oh. drums on that. But everything else Amazing. you hear, I believe, is yeah, it's all me on that, apart from that. so. And then sometimes, like the end of West End Coast, the first album, we'd had, yeah. we'd got nine tracks together and we said that we need a single, we need a lead single. We've got some singles on this, let's write something. Um, so we got we got together to do that, and we even wrote another song by text message, um, <laughs> in a collaborative way. So you know, little audio notes. What do you think of this? Okay, and it goes to this, goes to that. Okay. Oh, yes. What's that? What's that song? Uh, you can feel it. Um, oh right. Okay. Yeah, with the slow. Wasn't that one of the singles? Yeah, that was the first single, very first oh, single. So <laughs> written by text. Written on message. text. That's so good. I love that. You can feel it. Sean has had some sync success and mm. had placements on TV shows Desperate Housewives and Ocean's 13. Mm. Does um, Sean's writing for film and TV have an influence on Young Gun Silver Fox's sound? Absolutely. Uh, one of Sean's nice. strengths is um, understanding how eras of music have impacted on each other and understanding what makes up the sonic aesthetic of a genre from a certain era. Mm. He is an absolute master at doing that. 
So, you know, if you ask him to put uh, together a 70s boogaloo track, he will nail it down to the nth degree of the right instrumentation, wow. the right size conga to play that certain conga line with that certain oh, spring reverb engineered in that way. Um, Proper geek. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Him and Pierre, Pierre Duplain, his French engineer. Yes. Between the two of them, there's nothing that they can't do in terms of <laughs> nailing an aesthetic. Yeah. He, he's done that. Yeah. He's made like 35, 36 albums now in his life. Maybe three, quarter, <laughs> three quarters of them are instrumental. They're either um, computer game soundtracks or library music albums. He's done a lot of go. library music albums. Um, yeah, you should check them all out. Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra. And that West End Coast first album, that has got a proper soundscape to it. Yeah. Again, it's... It's it's fantastic. I really like that. When I first listened to Shams. it, I was I I couldn't listen to one song. I had to have the next one, mm-hmm. and then and then it carried on and carried on. And you know, I'd done the whole whole album, and and I keep going back to it. And there's something so lovely and familiar about it. Mm-hmm. I I was looking at the, the keys of the songs as well, and I was interested that a few of them start on a C chord. This is me getting really like geeky now. Mm, love and it. If you, and there's four songs start on a C chord and four songs start on an A chord. And I'm wondering whether that's like something that was intentional that kind of, kind of makes it the whole album flow like a concept album almost. <laughs> I never analyse it to that, that degree. <laughs> wow, is that right? <laughs> yeah. So there's four songs on Western Coast that four. start start on A and then four that start on C. Yep. And it's a tenter. Do you know what the other two do at all? I can't remember what the other two do, but I I went, I went through it this morning. I was like, "There's something, there's something familiar about this song," and obviously they are familiar to me now because I've listened to it lots. But, the, but, but the thing is, that there's, a, there's a lot of modulations happening. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. On a lot of the songs, so you 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 know you may well start in C, but you could end up in F sharp or something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though. I, I was I just. I noticed that and I thought, oh, it, oh, this is another extra fun bit of information. You know, yeah. when we're talking about listening to our favourite songs over and over and you're not sure whether you're into them the first time and then... Yeah. Yeah, it's a proper... It's great to listen to that as a full-length LP. Yeah. Well, maybe there's some kind of grounding there that the fact that they start off in the same case. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're going to reset you now back to what you were reset yeah. to before, but we're going to send you off on this journey and next journey will be down here kind of thing. But we're going to bring you back to sea after that, girls and boys. <laughs> I do love it. But t- just touch it. on the writing. Um, yeah. One last thing on that. Mm-hmm. Writing, writing to a complete finished piece of music is a very different thing to writing a song from yes. the ground up. Yeah. yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak. I need to be <laughs> in control of the harmony when I'm writing stuff. I see. Um, certainly on my own stuff. And uh, it, it's the thing that really kind of moves me to draw out ideas for lyrics and melodies, certainly, what the harmony's doing. Mm. So when I'm working on a track that Sean's given me, sometimes it's really liberating. Sometimes it's like, oh, my God, I wouldn't. There are songs that, 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 that you know are amazing. Uh, and that there something like yesterday obviously the most covered song in history most played song on US radio mm-hmm. um you know it's classic and you know it for your whole life but you know it was only 2 months ago 3 months ago I was out on a walk on my own I took the dog out mm-hmm. I was I went for a long time I walked for a couple of hours and uh, yesterday came on and I fucking burst into tears walking along oh. it's just so moving it, I mean, it's oh. just so 
so mm. elegantly and crafted and just it's so emotional um just the turn yeah. of melody you know it's just something about it yesterday all my troubles seem so far away now it looks as though they're here to stay oh i believe in yesterday so you have so many influences that are clearly present in your songwriting. I know you've credited the likes of Stevie Wonder, Queen, Marvin Gaye, Prince, The Beatles, Joni Mitchell as well, mm. who have influenced your writing. But I wonder if you've ever acknowledged, do you ever acknowledge them subtly in your lyrics or um, production? Like I, I, There was a song um, on AM, wa- uh, AM Waves mm. called Lenny. Yeah. And there's that line, because all I want to do is wash, wash away these blues, complete with a few little blues guitar licks in between those vocal lines. Hmm. And I was wondering whether that was a little nod of the cap to Stevie Ray Vaughan with his song, Lenny. <laughs> Am I reading too much into this? <laughs> I, I think with that one, you are, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you don't, do you know the story of Lenny? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, is it a really okay. bad one? Uh, well, have you seen this, the footage of Lenny Kravitz when he... Um, performs that guitar solo in leather trousers no and then he bends oh. down and they <gasps> they, sp- they split and uh, lenny's junk falls out ah! yeah uh so <laughs> s- someone in mama's gun sent me the video of that happening and oh, obviously fuck. we were like just cracking up at it but um that night i went to sleep and i and i dreamed of lenny kravitz and i dreamed that he had a bar <laughs> I had a shit day and he was serving me up shots of of whiskey so um oh. Yeah, that's why it's like, you know, then he pour me another one because um, I'm in that kind of mood. Yeah, it's just a, me at a, a bar scenario. Um, that's so funny. But back, sorry, you, you're, it was a good question. You said references to my influences through music. Yeah. Oh, of course. Mm. Absolutely all the time. I think mm. one, one could say a lot of the music that I write in its entirety are, you know, um, some of them are quite obvious um, tips of the hat to people um, some of them are, are more subtle yeah bitch from roots to riches sounds like it could have been a prince record it's your life a bitch baby it's your life it's your life it's your life a bitch baby it's your life it's your life ain't it just I was looking at the way you mix up rhyme. This is another geeky one. Sorry. Love this. So this, this is the kind of stuff, you know. Uh, yeah. All interviews should be like this. <laughs> well, that's what I, I love. I love an interview when it's just like really anal and uh, and uh, geeky. Hmm. But anyway, um, so uh, that's why I wanted to, to do this podcast. So anyway, so this is my geeky question. Um, uh, so with your rhyming, you like to mix it up. So a lot of songwriters do quite often the ABA um, rhyming structure, meaning that the fourth and the second lines rhyme and they're quite like perfect rhymes. The first and the third lines sometimes rhyme, but they don't always have to. Mm. Um, And you've got like, you know, John Lennon, imagine, imagine there's no heaven, it's not to do, Mm. no hell below us and no religion too. Mm -hmm. 
But in the verse of Golden Days, which is a fabulous song, love that, mm-hmm. you start you start by adopting that A-B-A-B structure, but then you move on to three consecutive lines that rhyme, and then you have a rhyming couplet, and then you have one line that rhymes with absolutely nothing whatsoever, <laughs> and then you sing, and they sing that over a couple of extra bars. Yeah. And it's, so the lyrics are, I've got them written out, I'm not that geeky that I memorise them, but yeah, yeah. it's pretty geeky anyway so it's <laughs> i remember love in the city living for the late night life how we had a good time baby burning all our money sleeping with the daylight mm. used to be the king of sunshine had no troubles on my mind realizing now for the first time that i'm counting the cost for the way that it was it's a hell of a price to pay <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's really interesting to see how it looks on paper because it doesn't look like it might work when it's set to music, but it flows perfectly. Mm. So how do you decide which which lines rhyme with each other? And in your opinion, how important is rhyming in songwriting? Oh, wow. A few, tiered, a few tears to that question there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, rhyming's very important. You know, the simplest rhymes, like you cited with Imagine, um, mm. are sometimes all the song needs and... You know, a lot of the time, that's that's what it wants. You know, it wants something obvious. You've got to respect who's going to be listening to this as well. You yeah. can't get too clever with it. But sometimes, and this is where as a songwriter, you've got to have your senses um, on, your antennae on, um, yeah. to know what to do. I mean, I love internal rhymes, you know. I like yes. starting with one rhyme and then having a bunch of stuff that's kind of almost in a kind of alliterative way, rhyming, uh, yeah. and then finish, finish off with something else. Um, mm. But it's all, it's all wrapped up in the momentum of the music uh, and how you're punctuating the music and how that allows you to um, set your words um, to music. Um, I, think, I think if you're... If it's if if it's too contrived, you think about it too much. It's not natural. Then it's got to feel natural mm. when you do it. When you when you choose to do something that's a little different with your rhyming. Mm. Um, and it and it all depends on how hard you're hitting the rhyme or how much of a half rhyme it is, how much you want that to stick in listeners' mind, or whether you just want it to be fleeting and to serve a purpose, so you get to a meteor word at the end of the phrase. Um, yeah. It's you want it to feel natural, above all. You know it can't be laboured, um, and it's all about what you're trying to spotlight as well. Yeah. So rhyming's difficult. It's got to. It's got to. It's got to. You got balancing it with catchiness. Your 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 desire to it to be singalongable. Um, mm. For someone for someone like me, I, I, I tend to err on the side of more poetic stuff generally. I yeah. I like poetry. A lot of the time over more direct stuff or or I, I'll interlace the poetic stuff with direct stuff. I remember loving the city Living for the late night life How we had a good time, baby Burning all our money Sleeping with the daylight Used to be the I don't 
A lot of musicians I know have a certain person in their life that inspired or encouraged them at early age to pursue their careers. For me, it was singer and guitarist called Frank White. He was a Sheffield legend and had an amazing ability to interpret any standard. And he was so encouraging to me and Nick, and he got us our first gigs in uh, pubs. And he's the reason we're playing music to this day. Mm. So did you have someone like that in your life? Yeah, I think um, there's a bit, there's a couple of people. Um, there was there was there was a teacher, visiting teacher at school once, um, yeah. called Angela Turton. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I got on with the music teacher very well, and he, you know, he inspired me a lot generally. But um, he he was away for a term on a sabbatical or something, and she took over for him for a term. Mm. And she came in and said, "Right, um, we're going to go to a recording studio." <laughs> I'd never been into a recording studio before, you know. I was wow. like eleven or twelve or something. Oh. They said, "Right, we're going to learn a load of songs. I'm going to give you all parts." You're going to play that solo. You're going to sing that song, and we're all going to play live in a recording studio. We're going to record the tape, uh, oh, and, and this is what's this is what's happening. And it blew our minds. <laughs> ah, um, I love that. Yeah, and um, so on the credits of every album I've ever done, um, Angela Turton is one of the people I thank every time. Oh. That regardless of who who the person is on the record, um, she gets a thank you. Because oh. she really, um, you know, I loved music. I was a music fan. I listened to records a lot, but I was suddenly on the other side of the glass and it blew my mind. And once I'd had a taste, I was like, my God, this is it. This is it for me. Oh, yes. Um, Fantastic. The other person was a music lecturer called Jill Halstead. So both women. Mm. Yeah. Interestingly. Um, and she... Um, she was an amazing guitarist, an amazing musicologist, a music musician, but she really taught me the value of listening. Mm. Um, she she led a project of Joni Mitchell's music, and we toured it oh. all over Europe. Um, and in, it involved a baptism of fire into the music <laughs> of Joni Mitchell. You know, I think before that, I, I knew Big Yellow Taxi. Um, yeah. Um, and I think that was it pretty much at, at 18 years old. Mm. Um, <laughs> so we went hardcore into every single album, every facet yes. of every all the record making at that age. Uh, and then we learned to play the music and she would always just be shouting us to play it quieter, to actually ah. listen, to listen, listen, listen. So, wow. Yeah. Um, so, That's yeah, really th cool. th those two ladies, one for giving me the bug and give me the opportunity and one for you know just teaching me the value of listening brilliant and as i can only pick one for this podcast what song <laughs> reminds you of angela what song reminds me of angela yeah um crazy little thing called love we did that one recorded that one because uh, she got me to play the guitar solo in it Gotta be cool, or else 
what can we expect to hear from you in the next few months? What are you working on? Well, um, I've not long ago I was doing writing songs for a uh, Japanese animated um, anime series on Netflix Japan uh, called Carol, um, Carol and Tuesday. And hopefully we'll be doing some more of that. That'd be nice. Um, I'm working with a Japanese singer called Anna Takuchi. I'm writing and producing a single for her. Um, Writing new Mama's Gun stuff all the time. Um, Me and Sean have talked about doing a Young Gun album with a slightly different complexion, a bit of a sidestep, but still relevant relevant to what we do. Uh, And at some point I'm going to pull my finger out and do a solo record. Um, no way! Yeah, Exciting. yeah, I don't, and I don't know what it sound like will, will be yet. I don't know. And obviously, if if uh, if we get the world of events back in our lives, then uh, I'll be be back on the touring circuit here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it, and I've been a really enlightening, really good chat, and it's reminded me how much, you know. I love doing what I do and I love mm. talking about about it as well with uh, other people that appreciate it as much as I do. So thanks so much for being involved with this. Uh, well, just let me say it's been an absolute pleasure. I don't feel Aww. like I don't feel like I've been on a podcast. I feel like I've just been chatting to a mate about music and oh, about life so nice. and stuff. The only thing that was Aww. missing was like a pair of pints and a pub <laughs> pub, pub by a canal somewhere or something. Uh, <laughs> oh, nice one, man. Well, I really do appreciate it and um, it's lovely to talk to you and take care of yourself and your lovely family. Nice one, Kat. You make my life. Andy, Mama's Gun, or Young Gun Silver Fox, head to andyplatz.co.uk. And if you want to find out more about me, head to cateaton.com. Make sure you subscribe and rate this podcast, and tune in next week to hear a different songwriter talking about their craft. Thanks for listening. Yeah.